Who's looking forward to Christmas? Who's looking forward to Christmas because they think they're going to get good presents? Who's looking forward to Christmas because it's a deeply spiritual time where we... Uh, well, we're actually looking at the spiritual impact of Christmas this morning, um, which is only reasonable, I think, being in church. And uh, last week, Nathan explored the fact that Jesus actually needed to come to restore the relationship between God and man that Adam and Eve had so wonderfully destroyed for us. And so I want to continue that theme this morning. and I just want to continue with the, with the idea. I've got to speak into this, don't I? Sorry, I was getting all um, Italian, which I am, of course. Well, just expressive with my hands is all I meant. I apologise if that was um, racially incorrect or culturally gauche. Um, I'm starting off well. Anyway, I want to entertain you with the idea this morning, or not to just to entertain you, but to have you entertain the idea that Jesus was not unexpected. It was not a surprise that the Messiah actually arrived. In fact, it had, it had been prophesied many times in the Old Testament. And so Jesus was actually expected. Who's read the New Testament? You wouldn't believe that he was expected from reading that, would you? They, they, they didn't react well, I, I would put it, if I was being politically correct, which is unusual for me. But apart from the fact that Jesus was expected, I want to just touch on the difference between waiting, expecting, and acting. Because the Israelites got very good at waiting. In fact, the, the first prophecy occurs, as Nathan showed us last week, in the Garden of Eden. And was actually given to Adam and Eve themselves. And it's in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Where God tells them that they will, he will cause hostility. And he's talking to the serpent here. Between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, the devil will give a feeble, feeble blow to Jesus' heel as he crushes him underfoot. And that is a, a, a reference to the fact that Jesus was going to come and defeat the devil. And this is followed by heaps of others throughout the Old Testament, and I'm going to read them all this morning. Well, about six. Just to give you an idea of, of some of the things that were said about the coming of the Messiah. Uh, Deuteronomy 18:17 says, And the Lord said to me, What they have said is right. I will raise up a prophet like you from among their many fellow Israelites. And he's talking to Moses here. I will put words in his mouth and he will tell people everything I command him. That was a picture of the coming Messiah, Jesus. In Isaiah 7.14, All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, a virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So there... They're already prophesying that a, a Messiah is coming. Uh, Isaiah 42 verse 1, Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public because he has a microphone. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. 
He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the seas will wait for his instructions. Isaiah had never met Jesus, by the way. And the one that I think most people know best is Isaiah 61 verse 1, where it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favour has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. Now the thing is, we know that in Luke chapter 4 verse 18, Jesus himself quotes that scripture to let people know that he was actually fulfilling that prophecy in Isaiah. Even Jesus' birthplace was prophesied. Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are only a small village among the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, ones whose origins are from the distant past. So he also refers there to the lineage of Jesus coming from King David. Daniel chapter 9 verse 25 also gives a prophecy about the time of Jesus' death. It says, now listen and understand, seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven, who loves maths, will pass from the time of the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, or the Messiah, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defences despite the perilous times. And after this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. So even the death of Jesus had been prophesied in the Old Testament. Now these are only a few of the better known references. I did refrain from finding all of them and reading them out. But there are heaps more. And if you, if you look through the Old Testament, I don't know about you, but it gives you this sense of comfort and I think a feeling of authenticity about the life of Christ because he didn't just appear. He wasn't just a historical phenomenon who suddenly appeared on the world stage and people thought, interesting guy. Let's, let's, let's name time after him. Let's have before Christ and after Christ because he's a neat character. He was actually prophesied to be coming. And the interesting thing about this prophecy is that it happened over a long period of time. I mean, sometimes, I mean, I ask myself this, I don't know about you, but how could the Jews have missed it so badly when Jesus finally arrived? Because there's all of these prophecies. Well, I think I have the answer. If we look at the timeline of the Old Testament, we can see, and you probably can't see, because it's a bit small, but the earliest definite recorded date is at the call of Abraham, which is 230 BC, 2300 BC, sorry. So 2300 years before Christ was born, that was when Abraham appeared. And an indeterminate time, some people say around 4,000 4, years BC, was the time of Genesis. So at the earliest, we, we have a prophecy about the coming of Jesus Christ 6,000 years ago. 
That's a long time. Who here is that old? Anybody close? A couple up the back, we'll pray for you later. So, there are, the, the little stars down the bottom mark the, the more obvious cases of, of when the prophecies about Jesus appear in the Old Testament record. And I don't know whether you... Can you see the green writing? Can most people read that? So it gives you a bit of an idea of, of where, where the books were written in the, in the history of, of the Old Testament. But I don't know whether you can see it, but between each of those stars, there's up to 900 years. Some of them are only one or 200 years. But the biggest gap is around nearly 1,000 years. Now, if I gave you a prophecy right now, and said, God has spoken to me, and he has said, he is coming back in a hundred years' time, and we are to not go to church anymore, but sit tight and pray until he comes. No, never mind, none of this, just go home, carry on with your normal lives, but keep believing and keep preparing for the fact that Jesus is coming a hundred years. Most of you are thinking, well, I'm unlikely to be alive when that happens. What do I care? Some other person is going to meet him, and I'm just, I'm never going, I don't care. This is ridiculous. I want him to come now. Because who knows, we live in a culture where you Google things and you get the answer now. When people want new products, I mean, the turnover in terms of new products is, is less than a year in most cases. You know, new iPhones come out every 12 months, but, you know, there's often an update halfway through. The... Back in the early biblical days, the invention of a new style of plough took centuries, if not millennia, to make its way onto the world scene. People made changes in things and, and people killed them for making changes. They accused them of being witches or, or sorcerers or, or upsetting the social order, bringing new things, Arabic numerals. That was, that was sinful. People didn't like the idea that maths could be simple. Especially the scribes and the Pharisees, well, not the Pharisees so much, but the scribes who had a job um, helping them understand Roman numerals, for instance. You know, when it came along that any Tom, Dick and Harry could work out two plus two using Arabic numerals, they were out of a job. They couldn't cheat bookkeepers because double, double entry bookkeeping became useful. People had to be honest. People were upset about that. Change took a long time. And so here we have 2,000 or more years of history dotted with prophecies about the coming of Jesus Christ. Most people weren't alive long enough to have heard more than one. And some people missed out on them altogether, apart from those who lived 900 years. So can you see that it, it's not quite as clear-cut for them as it is for us? They didn't have the option of going to their bookshelf or their tablet or their computer and pulling up the Old Testament and reading it all. And having a concordance where you, where you type in prophecies about Jesus and it gives you every single scripture so that you can look them up. They didn't have that. I know that's hard to believe, some of you, but they didn't. And so they had got very good at waiting. And they were also invested in the law that they had been given. Why are laws good things? But, uh, well, hang on, before I ask, who thinks laws are good things? We, should, we need a show of hands here. Who thinks anarchy would be much better? 
So basically, by default, you all think laws are good things, except the ones you don't like about speeding, usually. But the, see, they had become reliant on the law. Because who knows, laws are easy to follow because you know when you're in, within the law and when you're, when you're out. Even if you don't like the fact that you're outside the law, you know, usually because a fine turns up. And, that, and a picture, a blurry picture of your number plate. At least that seems to be the most common one these days. And they had become very good at believing prophecy but waiting for it to happen. I mean, before the end of the Old Testament and the arrival of Jesus, there was 430 years where nothing deemed to be particularly important was included in the books of the Old Testament. So if we were, we were at the end of the Old Testament and we... we even if we had them all together, we could look and say, look, there's a prophecy that Jesus is coming. We're excited. Aren't you? Yeah, I can see. But we've worked out that it's going to be 430 years before he comes. Are we still excited? We're a bit less excited. Now, the thing is that because the Israelites had the law, they had the prophecy, and they, were, they had 2,000 years of history of waiting for God to redeem them. They weren't fussed. They were happy to wait because they, they got to that point where they relied on the law rather than they relied on re revelation. And the law was more comforting for them than the law bringer. And so we fall into the same category as the Israelites a lot of the time. Jesus came. We can, we can read about what they did to him. We can judge them for what they did to him. But in essence, they were caught by surprise because it had taken so long, they didn't actually recognize the time when their Messiah came. And it took them a long time to come to grips with the fact that a major turning point in history had occurred and they had failed to grasp it. I mean, we can be very sad for them, I think, that this happened. But we've also got to be very careful because I think we need to watch that we don't get sad for us because even though Jesus has already come even though we're living under God's grace even though we're free from the law we can miss it just like they did because we wait most of the time we actually wait for God to do something we know he's here we know that we have his Holy Spirit and we know that miracles happen, that we, we, we're able to speak with God on a personal level. We're able to pray and have our prayers answered. But a lot of the time, we wait. God promised me this. God told me that. I've prayed about this. And I'm waiting for God to do something. What were Jesus' last words on the cross? It is finished. He's done everything he needs to do. Who does that leave? It leaves me and you to do what we need to do to allow God's plan to work in our lives. I want, I want to finish this morning with this parable of Jesus. Very powerful one. When I say finish, I'm only beginning the finish. So I don't get too excited. I want to read 
Matthew 25. It's the parable of the virgins, the wise ones and the foolish ones. And Jesus said, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Now this is often, don't forget, this is probably not like many weddings you've been to. So you need to understand that this may sound a bit strange. They took their lamps and they went to meet the bridegroom and five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were aroused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. And then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourself. At midnight. But while they were gone to buy oil, I had 24-7 even back then. The bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the hour or the day of my return. Now some of you, having read that, are thinking, they are the most unchristian bridesmaids I have ever heard of. Imagine not sharing their oil with the other less fortunate virgins. Because that's a fairly natural thing for us to think. We, we live in a, an age where, as Christians, we're judged by our, our generosity and our actions. If so, like the foolish versions, you've missed the point. It is not actually a story about Christian charity. It is actually a story about our relationship with God. The oil represents our level of faith or our, our level of connection with the Holy Spirit. The message of this parable is that you have to have your own supply of faith. You cannot borrow someone else's. You have to get a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't get into heaven by piggybacking on someone else's faith or relationship. God isn't responsible for our faith. We are. Why do we come to church then, you say? Surely we're here to share our faith. We're here to be generous to one another. We're here to help each other with spiritual truth and, and hear from the word of God so that we, we share it. Yes. I am sharing my faith with you. I am sharing the knowledge that I have got through my faith and my relationship with God. But I'm actually not giving you my faith. I'm giving you the tools to top up yours. I'm giving you an advantage that other people don't have to actually hear things that you might not have thought of or to hear things from a different perspective, to hear things that hopefully will encourage you to go back and read that. You mean it's not a story about being a nice virgin or a bad virgin. I must read that again. Yes, read it again. Read a commentary that talks about it. Ask God to give you some explanation about it. 
Don't rely on the fact, well, Chris said that was what the, that parable was about, so it must be true. I believe him. He's a good guy. Doesn't lie a lot. So I'm, I'm just going on what he says. That's a good start. But God says, no, we've, we've got to build our own faith. We have to make sure we have enough oil or faith in our lives so that when something happens, we've got reserves. You shouldn't be praying for healing only when you're sick. You should know the prayers that you need to pray before you get sick. I, get, I wake up in the morning, I check. I'm all right. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you, you died on a cross. You, you took the, the stripes on your body so that I could be healthy. I don't wait till I'm sick and say, God, what have you done for me? How have you allowed your servant to fall into this, this trap of being attacked by a virus of all things? Woe is me. My healing has failed. No, if that happens to me, I'm believing for healing. And I'm believing, because I know a bit about viruses. I study them at university and I don't like them. But I know what happens to your body. And it's not actually a question of denying what is happening. It's a question of proclaiming what you see happening in the future. Because I know what they're doing in my body but I'm refusing them to give the power to alter my life because they're just viruses. I know that I've studied my theology. The name of Jesus is above the name of virus. And any other name you can give me, it's above that name. And if I call on that name, every other name has to bow. Now, does it feel like they bow sometimes? No. Does that make any difference to the truth that they actually do? No. Because God... Jesus said, it is finished. He has done everything he needs to do. It is me who needs to stir up my faith. It is me who needs to have a reserve in my life that says, I know these things. I'm standing on these things. There is nothing on this earth that is going to sway me from my faith. And you can only say that when you've got enough faith to make that stick. And the only way you can do that is to build up reserves. Because that's, that's why we have church. So that we can come together and worship in an atmosphere that's conducive to worship. We can come and hear the word of God because somebody gets up the front and preaches it. And I preach that to every ear. And you know what the amazing thing is? That every single one of you is hearing something different. You are going to go away and do something different. Sometimes that different isn't much different from nothing. <laughs> and if that is you, you need to change that. Because once you leave... This place, once the sound of my voice fades into the murmur of post-service coffee, you are the only person who can be responsible for what you do with what you heard today. I am not going to chase you up and say, you know what I said? What are you doing about it? Wasn't it exciting? It was really good. Let me sit down and, and we'll talk about what you got out of what I said. Actually, I don't like to do that because Vicky's bluntly honest about a lot of the things I say. When we go to connect groups, we get, we, we get together, we discuss you know, the word of God, we discuss relationship, we, we get into each other's lives and we pray for each other and we, we become intimately associated with one another, not so that we can form a, a bigger social circle, it's actually so that we can interact with other Christians because the Bible tells us iron sharpens iron. Who knows that not everybody in your connect group thinks the same way as you do? You'd better hope they don't. 
It's like in a marriage. Have you ever noticed that your partner doesn't think like you? If they don't, then you need to praise God for that. Because let me tell you, if there are two of you in a marriage and you both think the same, one of you is unnecessary. <laughs> Viva la difference. That's what I say. We don't come to church to bum off somebody else's worship experience. Don't go around, what do you think of the worship? Oh yeah, I thought it was good. Oh good, I'm glad you thought. Oh okay, it must have been alright then if he thought it was good. We've, we're actually called to come and fill our own soul, fill our own spirit. And we're responsible for that. Because guess what, it's easy to be distracted. You know, occasionally you look and think, well, the, the wrong words are on the screen. Or... Those backup singers aren't smiling. Or the drummer's out of time. In another church, possibly. Or the person behind me is singing really loudly and totally off-key. How am I supposed to worship with that person sort of bellowing in my ear? This is horrible. No, no, you are responsible not other people. It's not a question of saying, well, I couldn't worship this morning because Anne was just so loud. Oh. And it was oh, ear-piercing. Oh, no, God wasn't in the room. Yes, he was. You were just distracted because you let somebody else steal your faith, your way of... And, and I was standing in front of Anne and I, I must say that that wasn't the case. I, I will say. That's why, you know, that's why I stand in the front row. It's nothing to do with being the pastor. It's the fact that if I sit in rows further back, the people in the row in, in front of me complain about my singing. As at least in the front row, there is no one to complain, although Jordan frowns occasionally at me if I sing too loudly. But the decision is ours. The faith has to be ours. We have our own reserves of faith and we get that by coming to church, by going to connect group, by reading our Bible, by praying to God and building up our faith. We pray for more outrageous things because we've seen God do slightly less outrageous things. We think, wow, that work, I'm going to believe for something more. But it's our responsibility. We can't say, oh, Brendan's a man of faith. I'm going to get Brendan to pray for me because that's going to work. Now, sometimes that does, but that's a temporary fix because Brendan's not always going to be there for you because I'm going to have him doing other jobs. And when we find ourselves alone, suddenly we've got to rely on our faith. And I'm always, you know, it's great for people to encourage others. If I know, for instance, that Brendan is praying for healing because he broke two toes up at the stall last night and I know that he's praying and believing for healing then I'm always into encouraging and helping and adding my prayers to his but often I get people who say look I'm not feeling well can you pray for me and if I say well have you prayed they'll say no no I wanted you to pray because you're a man of faith and you temporary fix at the best because you need to be praying. Because, do you know, your faith is as good as my faith? And often in your own case, it's better. You know what the problem is. You can take hold of it, you can grapple with it and grasp it far more accurately than I can. I'm prepared to add my strength and lend my weight to it 
if, if you want that, and I'm more than happy to pray with anybody who, who wants me to pray for them. But for long term, strengthen your faith, you've got to build your own. And just like the prophecies of Jesus, it's no good saying, yeah, well, something will happen eventually. God will turn up in my life eventually. I'm believing for a miracle eventually. God says, no, I, it is finished. I've done my bit. You want what you need to happen in your life. You've actually got to go for it. Because the promises of God are there for us to find. And the thing is that if we don't have that faith relationship with God, if we don't build our own faith, then we don't have a relationship. That's why it's important every Sunday in this church, I issue an invitation to people to come and actually start a life of faith with God. Because as, although together we're the church, as individuals, Jesus wants to have a relationship with us. And that relationship starts with faith. And what, what is faith? Faith is the evidence of things you hope for. It's the title deed of things you own but can't see. And Jesus says, what you've got to do is come before me and you need to make a statement based on faith. You cannot, cannot see that faith. You cannot see that statement. You cannot see the outcome. But he says, by faith, I want you to tell me that you want a relationship with me. That you are prepared to put aside all others and say, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ because I have faith that he cares for me that I am here for his purposes. And we make a faith statement because when we meet him in heaven, we're not all going to meet him together. We're not all going to come as a church and say, well, we vote Mike in, but uh, we vote Gwenda out. Um, and uh, it's not a choice that you know, we make by um, democratic consent. Jesus approaches every single one of us and he comes up and says, I know you or I don't know you, based on the faith that we have in him. And so we can miss it, just like the Israelites. We can miss it by not taking that first step and inviting Jesus into our life. And we can miss it by placing more importance on the word of God than the giver of the word, on the miracles instead of the miracle giver on the healing rather than the healer, of our provisions rather than the provider. Because we don't know when Jesus is coming back. And we need to make sure that we have our faith ready for when he does. Can I get everybody to close their eyes? Because I want to issue that invitation again this morning. If you're here, you know about God. You know the principles of God. You know about Jesus Christ and his life. But you have never made that faith statement that you want to be a son or a daughter of the living God and have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour because you have faith in him. And I want to issue that invitation. And if you have been living a life where you have placed more emphasis 
on the things of your faith rather than the person in whom your faith is based. And we can realign that faith today, right now, and pray the very same prayer. So while every eye is closed, nobody's looking about, if you want to make that faith statement this morning and follow Jesus Christ in your life, can I ask you just to raise your hand so that I can see that? I'll acknowledge that and you can put it down again. Is there anybody at all? Thank you, I see that hand. Anybody here who wants to rededicate their life by saying, Lord, I've, I've drifted away, but I want to put you firmly in the centre of my life. Thank you, I see that hand. Is there anybody else here this morning? scary thing to do but can I get those two people who raised their hands just to come stand out the front and I want to pray with you guys come on give them a hand as they come three three people sorry I can't count either I want you guys to pray this prayer after me and I want everybody here to do the same thing Dear Lord Jesus, from this moment on, I give you my life. I reject this world, its Lord, and take you as my Lord and Saviour. My life is in your hands. I am now a child of God. Somebody will uh, give you a, a pack to help you follow up and I'm sure there are friendly people here who will give you some encouragement on your journey. If you've got children in kids' church, you have to get them out by 10 to 12 or uh, we take them home. Actually, no, we refuse to take them home. What am I saying? Don't forget to speak to Liz and David if you're coming to any combined connect group to find out what you should bring along or where, where they live if you don't know. Uh, don't forget to race up and see the Deutsche Delectables at the Handorf Christkindlmarkt this afternoon. Is my German getting worse? That wasn't bad, eh? No, I won't say that. So have an awesome day. Um, if you still need prayer for anything at all, uh, I think it's Carmen and Mathan are going to be out the front here for the next 10 minutes or so. So they would love to pray with you. Uh, hang around for a coffee, beautiful cake. It's an awesome day to socialise. So we'll see you next week. <laughs>